Hello, welcome to the Chain Reaction Podcast. I'm Tony Hines. Got a great episode today, all about supply chain advantage. So stay tuned. You're listening to the News Roundup. All things impacting global supply chains this week. United Airlines CEO this week, Scott Kirby, said he was building his fleet without Boeing 737 MAX planes. So, more bad news for Boeing. Airlines turning the back because of the problems and, of course, the ensuing supply chain delays. He said that Boeing was about five years behind its original delivery date given in 2021. So he didn't expect the 737 MAX 10 planes to come online until 2026. So they're moving elsewhere. The IMF said this week that India is soon to be the world's third largest economy. By 2028, the United States will stand at 32.7 trillion. This is a forecast. China at 23.6 trillion. Germany at 5.5 trillion. Japan at 5.2 trillion. But India is about to rise up the ranks above both of those. Last two to 5.9 trillion US dollars. So that would make it the third largest economy in the world. Today it stands at about 3.7 trillion, which makes it number five, behind Japan at 4.2 trillion, Germany 4.4, China at 17.7 and the United States at 27 trillion dollars. Now from time to time there are really some very good business films that come on and tell a story about real events that happened in the past. And I've been watching one such film called The Railway Man on Netflix over the past few weeks. And it's the story of Union Carbide's poisonous adventure in India, where at Bhopal they poisoned the population, largely through stupidity and carelessness back in 1984. And it's a real good story to watch And it demonstrates the resilience of the local population and the common sense applied by those who are in much lower positions in organisations than those at the top. And it really is a heartwarming story of courage in the face of adversity by a multinational corporation that really did get out of control and was allowed to with corruption and everything else that went on. The morality of the tale, of course is to be ethical in all things that you do in business. Just because you have a particular position and a particular size and scale of operation, you still should care about the employees and the people you serve and the communities that you operate in. So if you get a chance to watch this film, I'd take a bit of time and I could recommend it to you. It's called The Railway Men and it's available on Netflix at the moment. DHL, the German logistics company, was advising clients this week to concentrate and focus their minds on how they manage inventories, especially between Asia and Europe. They're expecting a shortage of container boxes in the next few weeks because of the problems with the attacks by the Iranian-backed Houthi terrorists on shipping in the Red Sea. These attacks, of course, have caused big shipping carriers to send their ships around the Cape of Good Hope, 
rather than on the shortest route through the Suez Canal. So there'll be a big loss of income for the Suez Canal Company while all these ships take the extra journey around the Cape of Good Hope. So they won't have any fees to pay to go through Suez, but they will have extra shipping costs with the extra journey. And of course it will add days to the journey time. So it's quite a large disruption that's taking place. The Houthi rebels, of course, maintain that they're attacking ships on the way to Israel. But that doesn't really hold up if you check the facts. It's attacking indiscriminately against ships. And that's why the United States, along with its allies, has decided to take action. Military action, that is. They're trying to degrade the capability of the Houthi rebels so that they can't attack these ships. Whether that plan will work remains to be seen. Well, everybody seems to be the opinion that uh, the action taken against the Houthis will take longer than perhaps was originally visualised. The latest airstrikes by US and UK planes bombed sites in western Yemen late on Monday. The action began on the 11th of January, and it's all in response to the Houthis attacking ships in the Red Sea. The Houthi leader, Muhammad Ali al-Houthi, warned the US and the UK that the attacks on Yemen will only increase the strength and determination of the Yemeni people. It's a claim which is not substantiated. Iran's foreign minister, Hussein Amir Abdullahian, said that uh, Tehran conveyed a serious message and warning to the US following the strikes. The problem is seen as wider Middle East conflict. But this is something that can't go on because these ships have to have safe passage. And it's ships of the world, not ships of the US or the UK in particular, but ships of the world. So the narrative needs to change and more people need to put pressure on these pirates for attacking the ships. And pirates is what they are. Well, I just want to draw your attention to some of the programs that are coming your way on the Chain Reaction podcast. Driving Excellence, How Total Quality Management Revolutionizes the Auto Industry. That's one of the first up towards the end of January, and that's all about quality and quality management. And it was triggered by the impact of the problems with the Boeing 737 MAX 9, with the door coming off that plane. And it just made me want to think a little bit more about quality and perhaps it's timely to rethink or readdress and return to quality and what quality is about and why we had the quality revolution to begin with it's perhaps time to make sure we've not taken our eye off the ball with that one so that's an interesting episode which you might want to take a listen to then a week later we have the exposing the dangers of PFAS the health risks environmental impact, and the fight for accountability. It's a pretty long title, but it's all about these forever chemicals. It's about the problems that they cause to the environment, to our health, and they're everywhere, they're pervasive, they're ubiquitous. And it's important that we don't underestimate the impact of those chemicals and the damage they can do, not just to health, but also to corporate health as well. Because if you get a product liability claim against your business because you're making products with those particular chemicals, or you did do in the past, then you need to be taking action to ensure that you 
have cleaned up the act with regard to these forever chemicals and also that you're mitigating your risk. So that'll be an interesting episode for some. Right after that one, a week later, we have revolutionising supply chain resilience. And that's an interesting conversation I had with Bindia Vakil, and she's CEO of a company called Resilink, based in California. And they have a really interesting concept of how to manage risk. And Bindia's got some great lessons to tell you about. So I think you'll want to listen to that particular episode. And then, a week after that one, I'll be talking to you about supply chain strategies. And it's timely because the new edition of my book is published during that particular week. So for anybody studying supply chains or wanting to find out more about supply chains, they might want to listen to the episode, but they might also want to go and take a look at the book. And uh, those are just four episodes coming your way in January and February. So drop by, have a listen, and uh, hope you enjoy them. The Nikkei Asia readers were surveyed in December 2023, and this is what they've predicted for Asia in 2024. They say that Japan will be ending a decade of negative interest, that China's economic growth continues to slow. The prediction about Japan ending decades of negative interest, 76%. China's economic growth continuing to slow, 74%. North Korea's first nuclear test since 2017, 58%. Chinese 5NM microchip development, 57%. BYD entering the US market to challenge Tesla, almost 51%. And four Asian countries making same-sex marriage legal, 45%. The Myanmar military regime collapsing, 37%. And 24% believe that Modi will lose the Indian election. It will be interesting to see how many of those predictions come to fruition over this year. It's been announced that Shell is to shut down its oil refinery at Wesseling in Germany. This announcement came on Friday. They're going to convert the site to produce lubricant feedstock as part of a drive to reduce carbon emissions. They're going to convert the site's hydrocracker unit into a production unit for Group 3-based oils. And these are used mostly in engines with capacity of about 300,000 metric tonnes a year being produced, equivalent to about 9% of the current European Union demand, and it'll also cover about 40% of Germany's demand for base oils. It's all about reducing these scope 1 and 2 carbon emissions. They want to do that by about 620,000 tonnes a year. That's what this switchover will achieve. And Shell is aiming to cut overall greenhouse gas emissions, including those from fuels burnt by customers, and this will help it reach its net zero by 2050. It's also planning to do a similar thing with its refining and petrochemical site in Singapore. The Wesseling plant is near Cologne, and it's been an important part of the chemical park Rhineland. The new facility won't come on stream until the second half of this decade, so 2026 at the earliest. Chemicals Park Rhineland includes both Wesseling and Gdorf sites, and it currently has a capacity of more than 17 million tonnes of crude oil. Every year, Wesseling produces 7.5 million tonnes. So they'll lose about 7 million tonnes and be left with a facility that's producing 10 million. And of course, I suppose they're making this shift as they forecast that perhaps the demand for oil will actually drop as there's a switchover 
to electric cars also. So they're trying to get the balance right here, I'm guessing. Shell previously invested in the 10 megawatt electrolyzer used to produce zero carbon hydrogen and the biomethane liquefaction plant at the Ryland facility. Since 2020, Shell's divested five refineries, closed one and converted one into a terminal. News about Boeing from Seattle makes uncomfortable reading for the small suppliers to Boeing. And it was announced that a number of these small suppliers, such as Hobart Machine Products, which is reported up by Reuters, they make milling and grinding metal for aircraft components, and it's just a very small business. But they're one of many suppliers that connect with Boeing to make small components, and they've obviously gone through all the checks and all the quality systems to produce those goods, and they make these things for the 737 jets. They sell the parts to other companies, and then they're incorporated into the products. And of course, with all the uncertainty surrounding the 737 planes with Boeing, and of course, the slower rates of production as a result of the difficulties they've been experiencing, It's making it difficult for these smaller suppliers to plan their own futures and secure their own profitability. Many of these suppliers struggled from the slump in aircraft manufacture that took place over the two-year period of the pandemic, when the 737 MAX 8 temporarily halted production. After its grounding, that caused difficulties as well. Aircraft parts have to be ordered way in advance normally about a year. And because of that, it's a difficult market to operate in, especially if there's disruption and uncertainty. And there's been quite a lot of that with Boeing. And of course, this impacts the whole supply chain. Lack of confidence, a lack of certainty. And until those problems get sorted out with quality, it's going to be a difficult time for these smaller suppliers. And so there's an episode of the Chain Reaction Podcast heading your way, which is all about quality. And you might want to dig that one out when it comes along and have a listen about why quality is important and why it's important that we actually revisit the whole notion of quality in the 21st century. We seem to have forgotten some of the things that we learned through the hard work that took place in the 20th century. And it's time to return to quality products and quality service. And that just doesn't mean going digital and forgetting about your customers. A lot of people turn to digital solutions because they see them as cheaper options. And some of those services that they've switched over to digital are not really fit for purpose. It's very difficult to get hold of a a human person to talk to these days. And I know there's a lot of hoo-ha around artificial intelligence. And yes, it's going to be important. But don't forget the customers right now. And make sure your services are fit for purpose and your products have the appropriate levels of quality. The European Union is forcing Apple to open up its monopoly position on apps. And it wants other competitors to be able to offer apps for Apple products. That's in the European Union. So the Digital Markets Act, the DMA, which is coming in in Europe means that from early March, developers will be able to offer alternative app stores on iPhones and opt out of using Apple's in-app payment system, which charges commissions of up to 30%. Critics have said that the changes planned don't go far enough. They think that Apple's fee structure is unfair and that 
the changes may be in violation of the DMA in any case. The EU industry chief, Thierry Breton, said the DMA will open the gates of the internet to competition. So many think that Apple have had it all their own way for a long time and they need to be more competitive. They talk about competitiveness, but they've actually run a tight ship and they've closed ranks to try and build a monopoly around the software and the apps that actually run the systems on the devices. So is all that about to change? Well, we'll have to see. Apple, of course, are fighting this tooth and nail because they don't want to see their income damaged by the regulatory frameworks imposed by the European Union. There's more news about car recalls this week in the United States. Tesla has recalled 200,000 models, SX and Y vehicles, due to a software malfunction, which is obstructing drivers' visibility while reversing. The National Highway Traffic Safety Administration reported this on Friday. And this development comes less than two months after the company recalled nearly all of its vehicles in the United States to install new autopilot software because of problems with that system. So turbulent times at Tesla. Like the alliteration? I do. It was interesting to note that uh, Intel shares in the United States actually fell by about 12% this week. And that's because the market thinks that the company is not making the progress it should be making with chips taking advantage of the growth in specialised chips for artificial intelligence. And they think that other companies are making more headway than Intel. So, a bit of punishment for the company. Will they respond? Well, you like to think so. And 12% seems to be a magic number this week in the markets. They've also punished Tesla. Their shares have also fallen by around 12%. And that's because the CEO, Elon Musk, has warned that sales growth would be slow this year, despite price cuts. They've already damaged margins and the market's decided to dish out some more punishment because they don't think they're doing enough to get those margins back. And of course, with the problems that they've had in recent months with the recalls and with BYD in China overtaking them as uh, the world's largest EV manufacturer, you have to ask the question how much there is to fix at Tesla. That remains to be seen, of course. No doubt Elon Musk will be vociferous in what he's doing to uh, get the company back to brighter times. This week he's also raised about $6 billion for his AI business. And I think some people are wondering whether he's really taken on too much. Has he got too much to do? Because he's got X, he's got this AI company, and in too many fingers and too many pies comes to mind. Well, the World Economic Forum met in Davos this week. CEOs of many companies playing out the geopolitical scenarios that exist, listening to all the talks about energy, climate change, and everything else that's going on. But I wonder if people are just too busy at the moment, struggling with all the factors to be spending time at uh, Davos. And you have to ask the question, is it wise time that's spent by CEOs? I think I'd rather like my CEO to be working on the company rather than at a meeting in these difficult times. But still, 
they would say they have to network, they have to build partnerships, they have to cooperate, they have to learn about what others are doing. And so from that point of view, I suppose it could be argued that it's time well spent. But uh, you wonder whether these large gatherings are more talking shops than action. But we do like them, don't we? Well, just as we're going to press with this particular episode, it's been reported that the British oil tanker was on fire 60 miles south of the Gulf of Aden. Yemen's Houthi rebels hit the ship with missiles. The Marlon Luanda is the ship in question, and it's operated by Trafigura. They've said that the strike on the ship resulted in a fire. The safety of the crew is the foremost priority, of course. And it comes after weeks of disruption carried out by attacks on a number of vessels in the Red Sea. United Kingdom Maritime Trade Organization confirmed that the vessel had been struck and they're asking for ships to report any incidents of being under attack. The 110,000 ton Marlon Luanda operates under the flag of the Marshall Islands and it was travelling from Morocco to Singapore after transiting the Suez Canal last week. The ship's crew also reported another missile exploding in the air about 200 metres to 300 metres above the waterline of another tanker, the Panama-flagged Achilles. That particular missile didn't make contact. A French warship was patrolling the area at the time. So these attacks are continuing, and the attacks by the United States and the United Kingdom on the Houthis hasn't ended the militant action and the disruption to international trade so far. But no doubt, as a result of this, they'll be under even more pressure and probably more attacks. And as we've said on this program, that these attacks can't go on. It just can't continue like this because uh, world shipping is under threat. And of course, it's damage to the environment too. If these oil tankers get badly damaged and pollute the Red Sea, then that will be a disaster for everybody. It was also reported this week that Nuclear weapons will be located in the UK by the United States, and that will be the first time for 15 years that the US has had warheads in Britain. And they're going to be placed at uh, an RAF base near Suffolk. The United States removed nuclear missiles from the United Kingdom in 2008 after the Cold War was said to be at an end and the threat from Moscow had diminished. But it's a sign of the times, obviously, the threats around the globe growing ever stronger, a decision has been taken to place weapons back in the United Kingdom. On the 31st of January, it will be exactly four years since Boris Johnson declared he'd finally got Brexit done, taking the United Kingdom out of the European Union. I'm guessing this will be looked upon as a very incompetent and destructive act in the history books. And it certainly cost the United Kingdom in terms of its position and standing amongst other European countries. There are still many problems and disruptions that continue as a result of the United Kingdom leaving the European Union in the way it did. And it's been estimated that it could actually cost the United Kingdom £125 billion a year in losses. The post-Brexit trade deals that were promised 
have never materialised. And at the moment, the UK is currently trying to conduct and complete a deal with Canada. And they've currently had to halt those uh, discussions because there's apparent disagreement over cheese and beef. They've been in negotiation for this particular deal for about two years. And we've still got freight suffering the disruptions with tailbacks due to European Union controls at the borders. So this is a never-ending story and it's likely to get worse in October when the new European entry system is expected to be introduced by Brussels. More chaos for passengers, hauliers and of course for everyone involved that has to cross any of these European borders with trade. Non-EU passport holders will be required to provide retinal or facial scans as well as scanning their passports. So this is all friction. Friction in travel, chaos at Dover and Felixstowe probably. And it really was a poor show, the way in which the British government has concluded the arrangements with the European Union. Next Wednesday, of course, the loophole for the 99L certificates run out. And those have allowed many importing foods and goods from Europe to bypass the regulatory forms. And so there is a requirement that importers and exporters have to have the documentation input online a week before the transportation takes place, crossing borders. But the UK have had this period where they didn't have to do that. And it's an exemption under the 99L certificate. And apparently, according to data, there are still many suppliers who are relying on the 99L certificates. And of course, that will stop causing delays at the borders if they don't have the right paperwork. Any delays, of course, or disruptions if you're transporting perishable goods could have a detrimental effect on the product. So another piece of friction introduced by Brexit. And if that's not enough, of course, it's likely that this will push up the prices of imported goods because of the extra work. So that's it for this episode. I'm Tony Hines. I'm signing off. And I'll see you next time in the Chain Reaction Podcast. So, bye for now.